as panic ensues in the world, today I want to discuss with you how Jesus instructed us on how to handle it. Today, I'd like to talk to you about worry. What is one thing in your life that causes you to worry? Now, when you worry, what are you forgetting? What are you forgetting? These two questions have been rolling around in my mind all week as I have been studying and unpacking Matthew chapter 6. So if you have your Bible, I encourage you to go to Matthew chapter 6. And today in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, Jesus specifically addresses the issue of worry. If you have your Bible, I'm using the New American Standard Version, and I will invite you to read along with me as I begin in verse 25. Jesus says this, For this reason I, Jesus, say to you, do not be worried about your life, as to what you will eat, as to what you will drink, or, what, or for your body, as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Just look outside your window. Look at the birds of the air. For they do not sow, nor do they reap, nor do they gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? Verse 27. And who of you, by being worried, can add one single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows what you need, that you need all of these things. Verse 33. But instead of worrying, seek for us his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Today has enough trouble of its own. Amen. What is one thing that you worry about? I want you to picture it in your mind. What is one thing in your life right now that causes you to be fearful? Now, as a Christian, as a believer in Jesus Christ, when we worry about something, what are we forgetting? You know, just look around you. We live in a time of panic, of just madness and craziness. It's crazy out there. Perhaps it has never been clearer uh, for our need of a Savior, and perhaps the depravity of man has never been more evident. I mean, just turn on the news. This week on Tuesday, I just happened to look at some news website, and the top seven articles all had headlines regarding the coronavirus. So I thought I might share them with you and make you fearful and anxious, maybe. Okay. But the top seven headlines of this news website, the headlines read as this. Article number one, coronavirus forces painful choices for medical staff. Article number two, can you catch the coronavirus from a delivery from Amazon? Number three, coronavirus pandemic divides U.S. into two halves. Number four, virus puts U.S. intelligence in uncharted territories. Article number five is on Rand Paul. 
Why I did not quarantine after getting tested. Number six, a governor unimpressed after a party goer gets virus. And article number seven is Italian woman living in an area badly impacted by coronavirus admits. But it gets weirder. Uh, humanity simply just gets weirder and the depravity of man is even brighter. This week I saw one college student on the news while he was on spring break say pridefully that if he gets the coronavirus, he gets the coronavirus. That won't stop him from partying. I also saw that people, this is not funny actually, I, I saw people coughing on grocery store supplies spreading coronavirus, and I think he got arrested. The government, oh, by the way, the depravity of man is clearly seen in the government because the government still can't get along, and we are now $25 trillion in debt. And oh, by the way, there still is no more toilet paper. What has the world come to in America? And all of this chaos in the world, all of this uncertainty leads people to worry. It leads to fear and anxiety. And Christians are not immune. You, wherever you are, however you may be viewing this video, right now, what worries you? Now, you may not be fearful of the coronavirus, but I guarantee that there is something in your life that is causing you great anxiety. Maybe you worry about your spouse. Maybe you worry about your children. Maybe you worry about money. Maybe you have anxiety every time you go to the mailbox, fearful of an unexpected bill to arrive. Maybe you worry about what other people think. Maybe you worry about school. What do you worry about? But really, the key question is this, is the second one. When we worry as Christians, what are we forgetting? Today, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus reminds his disciples of what they are forgetting when they worry. He reminds them that there is someone in the universe that loves them, that is sovereign over the entire universe. And he, Jesus takes something so simple, something so mundane, and he uses it to prove to you and to me for all times that somebody who is sovereign over the universe loves us and cares for us, and he proves it, his love and his care, through the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open again, once again, to Matthew chapter 6, and today we will unpack verses 25 through 34. Now, before we enter any text of the scripture, I had a mentor say to me one time that any text taken out of context is a pretext for heresy. Now, what does that mean? What he means is basically that in order to really understand, in order to interpret any text of the scripture properly, we must be mindful of the context of that passage. As you may know, Matthew chapter 6 comes right in the middle of Jesus' first sermon. We call Jesus' first sermon the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' first sermon comes in Matthew chapter 5, and it goes until the end of Matthew chapter 7. And in this sermon, Jesus discusses a host of practical life topics. He discusses money. He discusses obedience to the law. He discusses planning for the future. He discusses righteous living. And in our passage today, he talks about worry. 
And really at the center of this passage, Jesus answers the, answers the question why we should not worry. That even in the midst of times like these, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of just worry in the world, Jesus reminds us why we should not be the same. Notice how Jesus introduces the issue of worry in verse 25. For this reason, I, Jesus, say to you disciples and to us today, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than those things? Isn't it more than food? Isn't it more than the clothing on your body? Now, let us ask the question, what are his disciples back 2,000 years ago, what are they truly worried about? Now, on the surface, it seems quite plain. It seems like they are worried about food and water and clothing. But I'm going to argue that their issue is much deeper than those three things. In fact, their source of worry back then is the same as our source of worry today. We often do not worry about what we will eat, what we will wear, but our worry today is much, much deeper as it was back then. What are they and what are we truly worried about? The answer to that question is found in the first three words of verse 25. Notice it. It says, for this reason, and the original language is dia tuta, what do those three words do for this reason? They point us back to the previous discussion. So let us find out what his disciples then are really worried about. Notice verse 24. It says this, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. What are they really worried about? They are worried about money. Why? Because money back then was the means of exchange to buy food and to buy clothing. I find that amazing. I find that fascinating that even 2,000 years later, we are exactly the same. The human condition has not changed one bit. That perhaps more than any other subject, we worry about money. In fact, the number one reason people get divorced in America is because of money. I find it amazing that nothing really has changed. If you have money in the stock market right now, what is your temperament? I imagine you are worried. If you have money in your bank account, you probably feel a little bit worried. If you have money sitting underneath your mattress, I imagine you are worried that somebody will take it. As I read, as I saw this correlation for this reason, as I saw this, I was just stunned at how little mankind really has changed in the last 2,000 years. But catch what I'm about to say to you, that if they needed a Savior then, and nothing has changed, then we need a Savior today because nothing has changed with mankind. We are basically the same. We may look prettier, we may look wealthier, but we're just simply putting lipstick on a pig. We look better, but it doesn't erase all the messiness. 
So they worried about money to buy food and clothing back then, but then notice the only command in verse 25, for this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life. That word worried right there is the same word for anxious in Philippians chapter 4 verse 6. That we are not to be worried about our life as to what we will eat or what we will drink, nor for our body as to what we put on. Notice this. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? That is a rhetorical question. What is the answer? Of course. But what is Jesus' command? He's commands his disciples, believers in himself, he commands them not to be worried about their life. Why? Because life is simply more than food, more than money, more than the clothing we put on, and it still is today. Life is more than money. It is more than success. It is more than what people think. It is more than the size of your house. It is more than what kind of car you drive. It is more than the food you place in your mouth. So then Jesus tells us, so then let us stop making life all about those things. But let's just be real for just a second. If I can talk to you wherever you are, if we are really transparent, we make life about all those things. We make life about money, about food, about possessions, and all about our human relationships. If you think about your day, our days are spent mostly earning or thinking about all four of those things. And Jesus is basically saying, disciples, people today, life is more than money and food and clothing and status and what other people think and the cars you drive. So then stop worrying about it. But why shouldn't we worry? Why shouldn't we worry about even the basic necessities of life? Notice verse 26 as proof. Jesus says, just look around you. Look at the birds. That they do not sow, nor do they reap, nor do they gather in barns. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not, as human beings, much more valuable than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add one single hour to his life? And why are you worried then about clothing? Observe the lilies of the field, how they grow. That they do not toil, that they do not spin. Yet I say to them that not even Solomon, in all of his glory, clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the lowly grass of the field which is alive today and vanishes tomorrow and is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Why should we not worry? Why should we not worry about money, about food, about possessions? If I could jam this thought into your brain, it would be this. The reason we, are, we should not worry about those things is because, based on this text, we know that God controls and that God cares. That God is in control over all of creation and that God cares for birds and he cares, if he cares for birds, he cares for me. So how do we overcome worry? We simply realize that God controls and he cares. But how do we know for sure that God is really in control and that God really does care for us? It's a great question. 
What's the proof that we have in this text right in front of us? How do we, what is the proof that we have that God controls and that He cares for us? The proof is right out our window. If you're sitting by a window, what I want you to do is I want you to look outside that window as I read this verse. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, nor do they reap a harvest, nor do they gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you worth not much more than they? What's the logic here? That if God cares for lowly birds, then God cares for something that is so much more valuable. He cares for us. In tough times, in circumstances that are difficult, in times of fear, in times of anxiety and worry, it is often we are so quick to look to control our money and our possessions and our relationships and our food and our places of human security instead of just realizing the truth that God is sovereign. What do I mean by the word sovereign? It's that God is in control. And then if God cares for that bird outside your window, then God cares for you who is so much more valuable to him. That is the logic. But then I want you to notice the awesome and timeless truth. I want you to notice a truth that is practical then and is very practical now and is scientifically proven. Verse 27, Who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to your life? It seems to be almost here, Jesus, I, don't, I wasn't back then, I'm not 2,000 years old, but it seems to me that there's a little bit of maybe sarcasm here. And when I read verse 27 as a preacher, I just want to tell him to preach it, and I wish I was there with him to root him on. Why? Because worry, even though we think it may, worry does not add even one hour to our life. But we know the opposite to be true. We know that stress, we know that worry, we know that anxiety actually, instead of giving us an hour, actually takes away an hour. It gives all sorts of health problems. Hypertension, high cholesterol, risk of diabetes, and on and on and on. So instead of worrying, what should we do instead? Let us remember that God controls all things and that God cares for you and he cares for me and he cares for all. So the proof that God is in control and God cares is found in the birds of the air, but is also in the lilies of the field. Notice verse 28. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his wealth, in all of his resources, not even Solomon in all of his glory, clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and gone tomorrow, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? What is Jesus' logic again here? He says that when we worry... Not only should we look out our window at the birds, but we should also look at the lilies of the field. We should look at the flowers that we have all around us. That if we ever worry about clothing, if we ever worry that God cares and that God is in control, let us just look at something so fragile and something so insignificant as a flower in your front yard. i got plenty of weeds if you'd like to come look at some in my front yard. And if God cares for that 
and, and God cares for you and for me. And as I sit here 21 centuries later, I realize that Jesus is still right. That the next time we worry, the next time we are anxious, we should just look at God's love and His sovereignty and His care for all of nature and realize that we are so much more valuable to Him than all of these things. And if God cares for that, then He cares for me. But, oftentimes, we are too busy looking at our problems to realize the sovereignty of God. Oftentimes, we are too busy looking at that unexpected bill that comes in the mail to even notice the birds of the air right beside us, to even realize God's control and His care and His love for each one of us. To share with you a story on worry, this last uh, Tuesday night, I think I lost about two years of my life because I was very stressed and worried. If you remember this last Tuesday night, uh, tornado sirens were going off. Now, if you're from Alabama, you typically just ignore those. <laughs> so growing up in Huntsville in Alabama, it seemed like every other week there was a tornado siren. So, you know, I just keep going about my business, no big deal, right? So tornadoes are just a part of life, and I have people just cringing in the home right now, just anyways. But this past Tuesday night was a little bit different. Tornado sirens were going off, and I was at the church, and I became a little worried, a little bit, and I'm a little used to it. So the, the rain is storming. It's like driving through a shower, Right, and the wind is blowing my car all around, and I'm trying to make it home to be with my family during a tornado warning. But I'm really not that worried until I get a little a text message from my father, and he says this to me. He says, "Hey, Byron, you watching that big storm heading your way?" What he meant was that there was a big storm heading right towards my house. So now I'm sitting in my car on Memorial Parkway, and I am absolutely panicked, okay? I am terrified. So I'm sitting there driving down the parkway as fast as I could, probably 25 miles an hour, right? And I'm calling my wife like 25 times, and I, pick, and I call my wife, and it immediately hangs up, which tells me that my three-year-old is watching a video hanging up on my phone call, okay? And so I can't get through to my wife. I'm calling her and calling her and calling her and calling her and calling her, and nothing is going through. And I can just imagine my family without me sitting in my house, and a tornado is coming right by and busting my house down and taking away my family before I could get home. If you're anxious about my story, fortunately they were not home and my house still stands. They are fine. But in that moment, even as I'm driving down the parkway at 25 miles an hour, what did I forget? That God is still in control and he still cares for me. What did I forget when I was calling my wife 25 times as my child was hanging up on me? I forgot that God was sovereign, that he is in control, that he knows what is going on in the world, and that he cares and loves me despite what I think at that time. When you watch the news this week, what should you remember? That God controls and he cares. When you are anxious, what should you remember? 
that God loves you and that he is sovereign. When you are fretting and you are stressing and your heart is racing, what truth should you revisit over and over and over and over again that God controls and he cares? But in times of worry, our pain, our circumstances, our stress doesn't leave us alone. It screams into our ears the lies of the world, the lies of our enemy, and those lies basically are something like this, that you are alone. That God really doesn't care about you. That God isn't really sovereign. Oh, that God hates you because you're a sinner and maybe in the world's eyes failure or whatever reason, but that is far from the truth. What we know in the scripture to be is that God calls us his greatest creation, that as Christians, that we are called children of God, that we are co-heirs with Christ. And as we read the scripture over and over again, from Old Testament to New Testament, from cover to cover, we see one basic theme, that God loves us, that he values us, that he cares for us, and that God is working out the events of history for his glory and for our good. So the next time that you worry, remember that despite what the world says, despite what your conscience says, despite what the news says, remember that God is sovereign and that he loves you. But then notice Jesus' summary statement in verse 31. So then do not worry, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. What is Jesus saying here in verse 32? He's, verse 31 is basically saying, just calm down, trust me. And then he's saying, trust me, and don't be like the Gentiles. The word Gentile here is basically, I interpret on the surface to mean anybody who is a non-Jew. But in our culture today, I really feel like this word means any non-believer. The non-believers have no hope. They seek money, they seek food, they seek possessions, they seek all the things that the world worries about. And Jesus is basically saying, just remember that as a Christian, that you are valuable, that you are a child of God, and that God is in control. Why are we to worry? Because God controls and he cares. And if you ever doubt that, then just look out your window. Look at the birds and look at the lilies. So instead of worrying, what should we replace that void with? If we take this idea of worry out of our mind and we set it aside, then what do we put there in its place? Notice verse 33. Instead, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Why aren't we to worry? Because God controls and he cares. So let us refocus on righteous things. Anxiety only leads to a loss of life. Worry steers us away from a righteous life. <clears throat> I hesitate to say what I'm about to say, but I'm going to say it anyways, because I like stepping on toes. That's what my job is, right? And I would imagine I'm going to uh, <laughs> lose maybe some friends over with what I'm about to say. I have never met a truly godly person who worries all the time. I have never met a pillar of righteousness who is a worry wart. I have never met 
someone who I would consider just who constantly is worried about life. Why is that? It's because being a righteous person and a worry wart is impossible. That they, these two are mutually exclusive. They are two polar forces pushing against each other. That's basically what he says. Instead of being like the Gentiles, what should we do instead? But instead, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, if I make you mad at that statement that I've never seen a righteous person who worries all the time, if you're mad about that, then just don't shoot the messenger. That's just what I see in verse 32 and verse 33. Because as I see the text here, that someone who is truly seeking the kingdom of God, someone who is trying to live a righteous life, that person, yes, they will worry. Yes, they will struggle at times of stress. Yes, they will be anxious. But that person who is trying to live a righteous life will remind themselves over and over again, instead of being focused solely Solely upon their pain and on their tragedies and on their circumstances, they will remind themselves that God is in control and I should seek to become like Him. When circumstances come your way, when uncertainty comes into your life, we will worry. We are broken and sinful human beings. We will struggle not to be stressed and not to be anxious. But I would hope that you would remember verse 33, that you would remember God and that you would replace that with seeking righteousness and godliness and truth. It's like that tornado Tuesday night. I became very worried. Uh, as I've already mentioned, I was worried sick. My heart was beating out of his chest as I was driving blind through the rain and through the wind. And then I arrived and I saw my family safe and sound and then I basically had to sit there because I knew I was going to preach this sermon four days later. <laughs> so uh, I had to sit there and say, okay, it's time to refocus now. It's time to, instead of worrying about all the details of life, let us refocus on righteous living. We all worry at times. We all fret over the coronavirus, how it's spread to 500,000 people. We worry if we have money in the marketplace as the stocks have lost probably 30% in the last two weeks. We worry when we go to the store specifically for toilet paper and it's still not there. We all worry at times, but what differentiates us from the world is that we have hope, that we have truth, and that we know the sovereign God, Jehovah, Yahweh, El Elohim. That we know that the God that we serve and that we worship that we're talking about now is love and he controls all things. That separates us from the world. So let us remember, life is more than worry. Let us remind ourselves continually that God is in control and He cares. And let us, in times of panic, let us refocus from worry to seeking righteousness and godliness and becoming more like Jesus Christ. And when we do this, when we set aside our panic and our uncertainty in place of trusting the Lord, when we do this, then verse 34 becomes our reality. Verse 34, So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Today has enough trouble of its own. Verse 34 becomes our reality when we look out our window and see the birds of the air, that if God cares for them, He cares for me. Then when we look out our window 
We see the lilies of the field that if God controls their clothing, then God cares for our needs. And if you ever doubt God's love, then just look around you. But I'm going to take that a step further here in just a moment. Here in just a couple of minutes, I'm going to remind you of Scripture, what the Bible says about God and His love and His care for each one of us. But before I get there, allow me to just revisit my questions from the beginning. Question number one is, what do you worry about? Some of us probably have a host of things, right? Some of us probably have a reminder list of all the things that we need to get done that we fret about. But as we see here, as we see in this text, that life is more than that. Life is more than possessions and money and food. Life is even more than just our small little world of human relationships and our health. And we know from this passage that worry robs us of joy. It robs us of our life. It does not add anything. And let's just be real. How many of you have ever known somebody who is a worry wart, if I said that correct? What's their life like? If you worry about everything in your life, what's your life going to be like? It's going to be frantic and miserable and terrifying. Question number two, as a Christian, when we worry, what are we forgetting? Simple. We're forgetting that God is sovereign and that he loves. That's it. In times of uncertainty, let us look out our window and just look at God's control. But also, in times of uncertainty, let us also revisit the truth. And the handle of truth that we should grab in times of fear is not a great sermon or a great church, or a great preacher. But in times of worry, I would hope that you would also hold on to the truth. But I'm going to push that a step further. I hope that you do not hold on to Scripture. I hope that you would hold on to the God that the Scripture describes. I hope that you would use the Scripture to remind you of the truth of the sovereign God of the universe. Do not grab money, do not grab food, do not grab possessions and fear, but rather grab God. Why? Who does the Bible say that God is? First, it says that God is love. Allow me to read a passage to you. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was made known to us. That God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the payment for our sin. Who else do we know that God is? Second, we know the Bible tells us that God has proven His love. Romans 5a, but God proves, that God demonstrates, that God has revealed His love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Third, the Bible tells me that God's love is absolutely inseparable. Romans chapter 8, verses 37 through 39. I'm going to back up, actually, before I read that, I'm just going to read the whole passage. I did not have this scripted, but I find this whole section to just be awesome. 
Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not freely give us all things? Who will bring again a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus, he who died, yes, who rather was raised, who sits at the right hand of God. Who will separate us from the love of God? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? For just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long, for we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. And this is where we hear about God's inseparable love. Verse 38. For I am convinced that neither, neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we know that God is love. We know that God has loved. We know that God's love is inseparable. But then fourth, we know that God himself, his presence, is inseparable. Psalm 139, verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, behold, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will lay hold of me. And fifth, the Bible tells us that the God we worship, that the God we serve, that the God who has inseparable, proven love, whose presence itself is inseparable. Fifth, we know that God is in control of all things. He is sovereign. Isaiah chapter 40. The whole passage is beautiful. But I'm just going to read verses 21 through 23. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth that God sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in? He it is who reduces powerful rulers to nothing and judges of the earth to meaningless. Our God is love, his love is inseparable, and his love is proven, and his presence is absolutely inseparable, and he is in control of all things. So as you sit there, whether you feel it or not, whether you believe it here or not, whether you trust it or not, whether the circumstances in your life say otherwise, whether the media says otherwise, whether your pain and your tragedy speak into your ears something different. The truth is, is that God cares for you. He loves you and that he is in control. And if God would care for the sparrows and the birds, then God cares for you. And if God controls the clothing of the flowers of the field, then God controls the life that you lead. As I close, the truth is that God loves you, He cares for you, and He has proved it by dying for you. God controls all things, holds all things, created all things. So let us replace the lies of the world in times of uncertainty with the truth. So let us remember in the uncertainty that God controls and He cares, and let us in that same time replace worry with a refocus on becoming like Him.
And when we do these things, verse 34 becomes our reality. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Many of uh, what I've discussed, many of the details of which I have discussed, are somewhat um, reserved, I'll say it that way, for Christians. And as a Christian, we are children of God, we know that. But as a non-believer, God loves you, he cares for you, he provides for you, he died for you. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then today is a day, is the best day of all that you can believe. Right where you are, on Sunday morning, March 29th. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, then he presents to you the gospel, which is the good news that Jesus has died for your sin, he's died for your mistakes, and that he offers to you eternal life by believing in him. You don't earn it. You don't earn your way to heaven. You can't. You're in, we are all imperfect we cannot earn our presence into a perfect God. If you have never believed in Jesus Christ, then he offers to you the gift of salvation that if you believe in him, you will be saved. I'm going to close this in a time of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your word. It's, it's, it's so beautiful and it's practical. It's still so relevant, even 2,000 years later. It's amazing that we worry about the same things, <laughs> that nothing has changed. Lord, today, right, whoever hears my voice, I would imagine they can relate to the disciples that we worry about money and food and possessions and relationships, what people's opinions are. But Lord, even in those dark spaces, even in the midst of the tragedies and difficulties of life, that we remember that you love us, that we can trust you. And Lord, I pray that we would trust you and that we would replace the fear of uncertainty with uh, an eager pursuit of righteousness. That's my prayer. Lord, I just thank you for Calvary Bible Church. I thank you for the faithful supporting of uh, just this church. And Lord, I thank you for all those that are watching. And I just pray that um, you would work in all of our lives here this morning. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.